0: Have you ever heard of the phrase said by someone before, perhaps to you, perhaps to someone else, but they say, man, you've got it really easy. You ever heard that before? I know that we all have. Perhaps we say it, we say it jokingly, maybe when we look at the pets that we own and that we allow to live in our homes, uh, maybe we look at them and we say, man, they, they've got it really easy. Or maybe we say it to someone who, who tries to live off of somebody else or is always mooching off of somebody else, we might say. We say, man, you've got it really easy. I know in school, we had a, I had a classmate who had really essentially a photographic memory, and so as it came to his memory work, he really didn't have to put much effort into it, and he just knew his memory work. And and my mind's not like that. And so I look and I think, man, you've got it really, really easy uh, as, as it pertains to that. But in other senses, we also know that the easy way, or perhaps we might say living the easy life is not always the best thing, is it? In fact, we know that as it comes to our spiritual lives, we know that living the easy life in terms of the world is always the wrong life. In fact, it was the apostle Paul who said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, he said, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you and I are going to be living the life of faithful New Testament Christians, there's going to be difficulties that we experience, aren't there? There's going to be difficulties that we have to endure. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be hurdles, not in the same way that the first century Christians faced things, but certainly today in the 21st century, the the Lord's church is persecuted in other ways, and you and I are as well. So that leaves us the question, well, how do we endure this quote-unquote not easy life? How do we make it through? How do we live faithful lives when we have to go through difficult experiences that we have to go through? You know, whenever we study the New Testament, aside from Jesus Christ, if we do a character study, more often than not, our focus is upon the Apostle Paul. And rightly so. The Apostle Paul was one of the greatest evangelists to ever walk the face of this earth. He went around planting congregations, edifying and encouraging Christians. He helped them in their spiritual walk. And we can see that time and time again throughout the New Testament, but especially within the book of Philippians. When you and I study the book of Philippians, uh, we are met with one of the most encouraging letters that was ever penned and that was ever given to us. It's one of my favorite epistles to study, perhaps more than others, because of how encouraging this particular epistle is to you and I as New Testament Christians. Notice a couple of verses here. Notice Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul Paul, talking to these Christians, he says, being he says this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of jesus christ i'm confident in you philippian brethren the apostle paul says that god almighty god our creator is going to continue using you for his glory notice chapter 1 and verse 27 only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of christ so that whether i come and see you or am absent i may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit With one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, the encouragement by the apostle Paul to continue pressing on, to continue living a faithful life and to be striving for unity among themselves as a body of people. Jump down to chapter three. Notice verse 20. Paul says, and this is a very famous verse. We all know it for our citizenship is in heaven. For which from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the remember the reminder rather by the Apostle Paul that you and I are citizens of heaven simply making our way through this world. And it's not the other way around. Paul's encouragement time and time and time again just seeps off the pages of this particular epistle that he penned. But I guess one of the most remarkable things about this entire scenario here is the location from which Paul is actually writing this particular letter. This is a letter of what you and I would today call one of the prison epistles. In other words, Paul was sitting in a Roman prison cell, in a Roman jail, while writing this letter, if you go back in chapter one, and verse 13, he says, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. If you go back and do a little bit of research, that whole palace guard, there is a reference to the Praetorian Guard, an elite unit that was within the Imperial Roman Army. The New American Standard actually translates it in the text as the Praetorian Guard. And so when we understand the context and the location of where Paul is when he's writing this letter, I suppose that changes our perception. Maybe it changes our appreciation for some of the things that we learn, some of the things that we read about and that we study as it comes to this particular letter. If I were sitting in a Roman prison cell, I doubt that I would be concerned with trying to write a letter to brethren and to encourage them. I, I'm, and when I think about Paul, he probably had every reason to be writing a letter about pity me, how how terrible of a situation I'm finding myself. And yet we don't find that we find Paul encouraging. We find Paul lifting up and edifying other people. In fact, if you go back to chapter one and verse 12, he talks about how his situation was doing what? It was turning out for a furtherance of the gospel. That was the only thing that he was concerned with as it came to his time there. And so Paul was in a tricky situation, a difficult situation. And yet from his situation is produced one of the most encouraging letters that you and I have today as it concerns this idea of living a difficult life and having to endure the many difficult things that that we have to go through. I think Paul gives us a direction in which we are to focus, perhaps a route or a course maybe, that our attitudes are to go on as it concerns how you and I are to live the quote-unquote not easy life As Christians. And he gives that to us here, I think, in Philippians chapter three. Notice with him beginning here in verse twelve. Notice the words of the apostle Paul. Paul says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Three things I want to bring to your attention this evening, and then the sermon will be yours, and we'll offer the Lord's invitation. Number one, Paul says, if I'm going to be able to endure this difficult life, number one, I have to press on with a goal in mind. I have to press on with a goal in mind. I believe it's important for us to understand the context of these particular verses here in order for us to really gain an understanding of what Paul is trying to tell us here. If you go back a couple of verses, go back to verse 3. Notice with me here some of the things that Paul says. Paul's discussing his past life as a Jew. And he says this, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Why, Paul, verse 5, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. When I look at the apostle Paul, Paul had such a noble heritage, didn't he? He had such a rich religious background. He had the pomp. He had the status. He had the fame and the popularity among the men. He was educated. He was steep in Jewish culture. He was a Pharisee with great respect. People responded to him. They respected him. Obviously, he had authority over specific people. You remember reading in Acts chapter 8, whenever the, the laying of Stephen's clothes were there laid at his feet? Acts chapter 22 and verse 20, he records for us that when the young when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. He loved his culture. He loved his position. He loved his authority. He was living what I suppose many people would call the quote-unquote good life, wouldn't they? Or perhaps the easy life. But in the end, as he gets later on in life, he's gone through his conversion. His mind, his focus has shifted. How does he view things now? Notice verse 7. But what things were gained to me, he says, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. All of these things that were gained to me, Paul says, all of the status, all of the fame, all of my past accomplishments that I was able to gain, he says they were all lost for Christ. You see, Paul finally came to the realization, he came to the understanding that he was no longer dependent upon his Jewish heritage for his salvation. He was no longer dependent on his past life, good or bad, religious or or, or, or traditional. And with that in mind, I find it interesting as he begins in verse 12, notice what he says. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. It's almost like a reiteration, essentially, of what Paul has just said. Maybe there was a fear of some of his readers, some of his students who were reading this letter, that maybe they thought that Paul was trying to claim perfection. Maybe they thought Paul was trying to say that he had arrived, or that he was exactly where he needed to be in terms of his spiritual walk. And so he says, look, I haven't gained the resurrection. You go back to verse 11. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I haven't been made perfect. I haven't arrived. I'm not where I need to be. I am here just like each of you to whom I am writing. He hadn't gained yet what he wanted. and Because of that, Paul essentially says this. I still have to press on. I still have to go on with a purpose, with with a goal of laying hold of that of which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. This phrase in the Greek used for pressing onward. It's the same phrase that Paul used to describe his own persecution of the church. His own attitude as it came to the way that he used to view Christian brethren. You remember all the way back in verse 6 of Philippians chapter 3, he talks about how he persecuted the church with great zeal. He was passionate about it, but he was in the wrong place. That word there talking about his attitude is the exact same word that is used here to talk about his attitude towards this goal that he wants to achieve one day. That zeal, it's in the right direction now. That idea of pressing onward for the goal that's ahead. In other words, he's pursuing this goal in his sight with a singleness of mind. That's the only thing that he could focus on. That's how important it was to him. It was the most important thing that he could ever think of. And what was this goal? Continuing on there in verse 12, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. That last part there takes me back in my mind to Acts chapter 9, to Acts chapter 22. Whenever Paul was, had that extremely interesting and unique encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and in the, the very figurative sense, Christ lays hold. He laid hold of the apostle Paul. He made him blind, told him to go to the city and to wait. And there Ananias would go, and to, would go to him and teach him the gospel. And essentially within all of that, Paul had been given instruction by God, go to the Gentiles, open their eyes to the light of God. And for Paul to be able to say that, I can't help but think about how he was wanting to fulfill this commission that Christ had given to him there on that road to Damascus. Lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Christ opened my eyes to see his light, to see his glory, to see his purpose. And thus I want to do the same for the world. You see, the Lord's purpose for Paul's life had essentially become his reason to live while he was here on this earth. I know sometimes our lives aren't easy, are they? When I think about the Apostle Paul, Paul knew all. Paul knew about that all too well. Having lived his life on both sides of this coin, here he knew exactly what it was like. Sure, he understood it was easier, wasn't it, to live the life with the fame, live the life with the popularity, live the life with the status among men. That's what he. That, that's what most people would want. That's what brought a lot of people pleasure. But it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't worth it. And he endured by pressing on with a goal in mind, that goal being heaven, and to take as many people with him as possible. Notice as we continue on number two. If I'm going to endure this difficult life, number two, I have to forget that which is behind me. I have to forget that which is behind me. Maybe you are someone who has a forgetful mind. I know that sometimes I walk into a room and I have to stop and think for a minute about why I walked into that room because I, I've already forgot about what it is that I needed to do. Uh, maybe it's a situation where I've meant to tell you to get questions ready for our questions and answers for the last three weeks and I forgot about that. I think about the time maybe a couple months ago Joey and I took a, a couple of days to go to Hot Springs, Arkansas and that's a I don't know five-hour trip or whatever and we drove about an hour back and I just I said hey hang on I looked in the back of the truck, I left my backpack. So we had to drive all the way back to, our, back to where we were, added two hours onto the trip. Uh, sometimes I'm forgetful in, in some of the things that I need to do. But when I look at this particular verse, this idea of forgetting that which is behind us, it's a good thing in the context of what's being talked about here. In the context of, this, of our message right now, he's talking about this idea of if we're going to live the more difficult life, the life that we would consider to be not the easy life, then you and I have to be more like Paul in our attitudes as it comes to our past. Paul says, I forget those things which are behind me. And when I look at the Apostle Paul and I look at his life, I look at how he endured all the things he did, the things that he was able to accomplish both before he was a Christian and after he was a Christian. I can't help but wonder if he thinks about this from two different perspectives. Number one, I think about the fact that Paul was able to forget these things as a member, a successful member of society. Again, just a reiteration of many of the things that Paul had been able to accomplish, right? We focus so much when we look at Paul about, we focus so much on it, on the killings that he did, the persecutions among the Christians, and rightly so, he was very prominent in that department. People in that day, people in that area, they knew about Paul and they knew about, well, Saul at the time, but they knew about all the things that he was doing to hurt the church of Jesus Christ. Acts 22 and verse 19, he said, Lord, they know That in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. But Paul was also well known as a successful member in society, as well as those among the religious community, not to mention how educated he was. I think about a couple of passages. Galatians chapter 1, beginning of verse 13, Paul says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Verse 14, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He was a Jew in terms of his circumcision. He was of Benjamite lineage. He was of Hebrew ancestry and Pharisaic training. You remember that he had studied at the feet of Gamaliel there in Acts chapter 22 and verse 3. Paul was someone who was likely trilingual in that he knew, uh, he knew Greek, he knew Hebrew, and he also knew Latin. Paul was highly, highly educated. He was steeped in tradition. He knew so many things about the culture, about society, and people saw him as that. People knew that he was so high up in all of his training and many of the things that he had done. But he says, I forget all of those things. Notice number two, though, he also perhaps forgets his success as a Christian. And I know it sounds funny, perhaps a little bit backwards when we think about this, but just bear with me for just a moment. Maybe you're thinking, shouldn't we remember all of the good things that we've accomplished as Christians? The evangelism outreach we've done, uh, the Bible studies that we have participated in, the baptisms, the the sermons, the classes, the, the restoration. Shouldn't those be remembered? And absolutely, they should be. We should remember those things and all of the good that we as Christians have been able to accomplish. And yet, when I think about that, and I perhaps wonder if this is where Paul's mind went, it shouldn't be that which propels us and keeps us going forward. In the sense of this, Paul could have looked back at all the sacrifices that he made to be a Christian, couldn't he? He could have looked back at everything he had to give up in order to be a new testament christian we've talked tonight already on several occasions about all that he had to give up for the cause of christ the price that christianity cost him and he could have been boastful about that he could have talked about his missionary journeys he could have boasted about those in the congregations that he had helped establish in many of the different places we could have talked about he could have talked about his baptisms all of the restorations the people that he mentored all of the sufferings that he had to endure while living this not so easy life as a christian but He puts it all behind him. He puts it all away and he focuses on that which is in front of him. I think when we look at this from our perspective as Christians, as a congregation, we had better be very careful about how we view our past accomplishments. I think that there are far too many Christians who look on their past accomplishments and they rely upon those things. They look at the good that they've done. They look at the people that they've impacted, the people that they have perhaps helped convert, the studies that they have had, the the services in which they have led at times past. I've heard far too many preachers only talk and focus on their past preaching, their past speaking engagements, and only focus and rely on those things. And they rely on that and they quit growing. They quit studying. They quit preparing. And brethren, that is one of the most detrimental things a Christian can do. I think about it from a congregation aspect, congregations that I know very, very personally who have been huge pillars in the Lord's church, congregations that have great reputations who many people know about that they've been influential, reputable. They've been seen in such high regard. Their reputation precedes them because they've done so much good in the past. And far too many congregations, far too many elders, far too many preachers, far too many members ride that wave. And unfortunately, they ride that wave until the water runs out. They've relied on a reputation for far too long. They've fallen into a rut and they realize how dependent they have been on their past and on their past successes. That's one of the many reasons congregations of the Lord's church die out all across the country because of a reliance upon the quote-unquote glory days or the past that was so, so good. I hope and pray that as a congregation, as a people, as a body of New Testament Christians, that we do all that we can to keep our eyes forward, that we always strive to grow and to improve, to say that we have completely forgot our past is to invite future failures right into our lives. So I'm not saying completely forget everything. But we need to be very wary of how we look at our past and making sure that we are not solely reliant upon it. And I believe that we have an eldership here who is striving to do just that. Paul says, I'm forgetting all that which is behind me. I'm not allowing my past, good or bad, to handicap me or to hinder me from running my race and from finishing uh, th- th- this course that I'm on. Here's number three. The third thing that we have to understand as we look at this passage. If I'm going to continue striving to endure the difficult life that as Christians we have to live sometimes. Number three, I have to reach ahead for my heavenly prize. Within writing about this idea of forgetting that which is behind us, I think Paul kind of flips this coin here. He doesn't just say forget the past and then just leave it at that. He doesn't give us instruction. It's not that he completely just forgets about us and says don't do this, but then he doesn't give us any instruction on what to do. But Rather, he says instead of forgetting the past, or rather, rather because you forgot the past, instead of that, reach forward. Reach forward to that which is ahead. Certainly Paul lived his life with the world around him in mind. We, now, we all do that because this is what we know. We can't get away from it. We understand the, the things that we have to endure. And yet his thoughts were fixated. They were focused on that which was to come, on that which was to head. So the Apostle Paul, what is it? What is it that we are supposed to be reaching ahead for? He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, that word press there being the same Greek word used back in verse six and again in verse 12. The mindset that Paul had as it came to persecuting Christians, his drive, his desire, his will, his, compa- his passion to go do those things. That was now fixated on doing all that he could to endure the life that he needed to live. So Paul, you're pressing on, you are pursuing, but towards what? Well, or you're, you're pursuing towards a goal. That, that phrase, towards the goal, is a phrase that's translated from the Greek uh, as the word uh, skopos or scopas, And it's the idea of a mark. And if you read in the King James, it actually says the word mark there. A mark on which we are to fix our eyes. A goal or an end that you and I have in view that we are striving to reach for. Today we use an instrument called the telescope, don't we? To look at something, a mark, a goal that is far away from us. We use a microscope. Uh, The idea of looking at something that is minuscule so that we can see the detail of it. That's where you get that word scope from. But there is something that you are striving to see, something that you are striving to look at, and you're doing everything in your power to achieve that. You see, every single person in life has goals that they hope to obtain, don't they? Every single person has has things that we wish to accomplish in our lives, and yet when we look at God, God has set this goal for us, this mark for us, that is far greater and far better than anything that you and I could ever put out there for ourselves and so Paul says this is how I'm running my race by forgetting everything in my past good or bad that could hold me back Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 he says I'm going to run as hard as I can no matter how difficult this life may be and no matter what I have to endure I'm reaching ahead towards my goal which is the prize for the of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus when we think about that I think about this high calling of Almighty God Certainly every single person has been called on by God to answer the gospel call. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. To submit his or herself to his will and to live faithfully for him. But you and I know not every single person answers that great invitation, do they? That we find there in Matthew chapter 11. It's a call of which you and I are to walk worthy. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said, "I therefore, The prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. With which you were called. In other words, Paul says, Don't live your life in a vain manner. Don't live your life in such a way to where you bring down that calling that God has issued to you to where you make it empty and worthless. Live up to that calling as a faithful Christian. It's a high calling because of from where that calling originates, coming from above. It's not a call that you and I have given to each other, it's not a call that we read about that has been issued to us throughout history or through any textbook. But rather, it's a call that comes from the one who created us. It's high calling because of the nature of the invitation to go towards God. I found this quote as I was going through this today. It's a call, or through this week. It's a call that comes from above. From above comes forth the call, rather, to come above. The idea that the call comes from above, Almighty God, but it's a call also to go above, to get to where God is. Should you and I live faithful lives today? When a child of God lives and does what is required of him, when they live faithfully, when they walk worthy of the high calling of God, having not lived the easy life but the difficult life, the one that proves uh, to, 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 to perhaps test us in ways that we never thought we could be tested, then and only then when they go through those and they endure are they able to attain that goal and that prize, being hearing, being, hearing those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Perhaps you're here this evening and maybe you have not answered that gospel call yet. You know that you've been called but maybe you haven't answered that call. You know that, uh, that you've heard the gospel uh, both this morning and this evening. You've read it. You understand what you're supposed to do. You've believed Jesus Christ is the son of God. You repent of your sins, confess Christ's precious name and then you're willing to be baptized into water, that water representing Jesus' blood. If that's the case and you want to do that this evening, know that we can help you in that. But maybe you're here as a Christian, you've answered that call, but perhaps you have been allowing yourself to live the easy life. Maybe you've been taking the easy way out because you don't want to have to go through any of those things that we as Christians have to endure. But you understand that that mindset is wrong. You understand you want to come back to him. You want to give your life back to Jesus Christ. Repent of those things. Know that we'll forgive you. God will forgive you and we'll do all that we can to encourage you. If you have a need this evening, why don't you come? Let's together we stand. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you would like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas 76262. Or you can visit our website at org. We hope to see you soon and may God bless you.